0: Welcome to another episode of Tacos and Tequila. I'm Peyton. I'm Sydney. And we have a pretty heart-wrenching case today. Did you look that word up? I didn't. I actually just thought of it like 30 seconds ago. Oh, that was good. Um, I don't think doozy no. is a good word for this. It is like a pretty tragic case so yeah (laughs) that's all I really have and I'm not laughing because it's funny I just don't know what else to say before we get into this
1: more of an awkward laugh
0: yeah do you have anything to add before we kind of dive in no I don't think so you could uh dive right in Okay. Well, first, uh, I and I told Sydney before we record, I do want to kind of mention that there is a trigger warning for this case. It does include se- sexual assault and children. So uh, we apologize if that's a bit too much for some people. And obviously, we wouldn't be offended if you didn't listen all the way through. Because I told Sid, this one was like, there were definitely articles that got to me on this one. On October 22nd, 1989, Jacob Wetterling would be abducted a mere blocks away from his home in St. Joseph, Minnesota. His case would remain unsolved for 27 years and would actually be the most prolific case coming out of Minnesota. Through the tragedy, the Jacob Wetterling case has had a major influence on America and has shaped our criminal justice system for the better. Jacob Irwin Wetterling was born to Patty and Jerry Wetterling on February 17, 1978. He was raised in St. Joseph, Minnesota, which was located not far from the city of St. Cloud. I think that was like the biggest city nearby. On October 22nd, 1989, everything would change for the Wetterling family and the entire community. Jacob, who was 11 at the time, was riding his bike in his neighborhood around 9 p.m. with his brother, Trevor, who was 10, and a friend, Aaron Larson, also 11. The three boys are returning home from renting a movie that Sunday night when they ran into a masked man. The man had walked out of like a driveway of sorts with a gun pointed at the boys Wearing a stocking cap for a mask, and he ordered all three boys off of their bikes. The man then had them throw the bikes down to a ditch nearby and had the boys all face down on the ground. I did see like kind of crime scene footage because I was kind of confused when they said he walked out of like a driveway and then in a ditch nearby. It wasn't like in a suburb area, it was still pretty rural in that area, so that's kind of why. There would be a ditch right there. The armed man asked each boy his age and told the youngest boy Trevor Wetterling to run towards the nearby wooded area. He made sure to tell Trevor to run and not look back or he would be shot. Since Aaron and Jacob were the same age, the man then demanded to see their faces. At this point, the man seemingly picked Jacob because then he told Aaron to run the same as Trevor. This was the last time Jacob would ever be seen alive by anyone other than his kidnapper. The investigation immediately went into overdrive looking for Jacob or his abductor. The two boys had run home to the Wetterling house, told their parents of what, about what had occurred, and they called 911 right away. In fact, within minutes of the call, a sheriff deputy had arrived to the scene of the abduction and located the bikes, but Jacob was nowhere to be seen. Both the FBI and National Guard were involved fairly quickly as well. In fact, the FBI was called that night. Tips rolled in and the news was all over this case, including nationwide attention. Within less than a week of the abduction, the story was profiled on the show, A Current Affair, where a $100,000 reward was offered. Sid, you and I have talked in, like, previous cases about the large dollar amount of an award that is given. And an eighty-nine, dollars $100,000 rewar- reward is, like, pretty large.
1: Big money, for sure.
0: And I don't think that reward money was ever claimed. There were searches for Jacob and people were questioned, but there were a few links that as apparent as they would be to you and I, were not thoroughly looked into. On January 13th, 1989, just about nine months before Jacob's abduction, a 12 year old boy named Gerald Shirel and I'm hoping I say this right. I will just be referring to him as Jared moving on. But I did look it up and listen to the news clips. And that's how they said it. Shyrul, Jared was abducted, sexually assaulted, and un- and threatened by an unknown man who wore a stocking cap mask. The victim, Jared, who survived this attack roughly 10 miles or so from where Jacob would be abducted, gave a story that later on was linked to Jacob's abduction. Jared's account told of the man using a gun and when releasing him, telling him to run and not look back or he would be shot, just like Aaron and Trevor were told the same things. However, despite this information, Jacob's case went cold and he was still missing. Investigators did not link these two cases together right away. There was another tip within 48 hours from a boy not far from the abduction, telling investigators that something similar happened to him, and he survived, as well as knowing of several others in a nearby city, but it took investigators three months to follow up on this tip. There was a mold of tire imprints from the site of the abduction made, which helped rule out some potential suspects, but at the time, They had like one big potential suspect. Uh, This person also failed a polygraph test. They even surveilled this person for a few days and then gave up on surveillance. But some evidence was kind of overlooked in this investigation, continued looking into other suspects at the time. The investigators actually did a live lineup with the suspect who filled the polygraph test for Jared to look at, but he was unable to identify his ta- attacker. They were hoping that if he could identify him, then that could make a difference and connect him to Jacob's case. Other than this, though, there was really little evidence left at the scene, and it was really just the two boys who witnessed the abduction. And they weren't able to really give a good description of the man, which I think is fair. They're young and also witness statements are proven to be like pretty hard to follow or give accurate information.
1: Well, and especially I think that age is the biggest thing with that. Like that's a pretty traumatic thing to see your friend and your brother, you know, stay there and you're. Yeah, (laughs) told to run away basically, like.
0: Well, and I'm gonna be honest, like if that something like that happened to me, I really don't know how good of a description I could even give. Even like, yeah, even like
1: besides that, like if I'm not in a traumatic situation like that, and I just go to the grocery store and like someone bumps into me or whatever, I probably couldn't even give a description of them. A minute later. Yeah, (laughs) like something just so small. There have been a
0: lot of studies actually that have shown witness statements are like are notorious unreliable. Like it's like a really low percentage of them that are actually actually accurate. It's kind of wild. Interesting. Yeah, so it was like really hard for the boys, especially like you said, being so young, to really give a description, so they didn't really have much to go off of. Uh, Within a couple years, the case was really cold. Years and, and honestly decades would go by with no answers. Finally, in May of 2014, investigators were looking into this case again, as well as digging into the attempted and actual child molestations that occurred in the Painesville area between the years of 86 and 88 leading up to Jacob's kidnapping. In fact, I had mentioned that a boy had come in just 48 hours after Jacob disappeared and he had given a tip about him and like some other kids he knew that were molested. They were he was from the Painesville area. So. This was one of the initial tips that they had received. This was only roughly, you know, 20, 30 miles from where Jacob was abducted. And Jared was one of those victims in that time period or just after that period. In the time frame that they were looking into, five other boys besides Jared were attacked and there were never any arrests um i don't think that any concrete suspect was ever even named an internet blogger slash journalist helped bring some of the information to light that either wasn't previously known to investigators or that the police had kind of looked the other way on and so at this time in 2014 they started using utilizing this bloggers interest for assistance and in fact a big renewed interest by the public came because of this sh- internet journalist, and she had worked with Jared, one of the one of those victims. After months of interviewing victims again and going through all the research, there was a lot of conviction amongst the investigators that it 100% had to be the same person that kidnapped Jacob and Jared. And they weren't for sure who it is, but they had a few more ideas at that point. Like I said, there was a renewed interest in the public and, like, this new pursuit of justice for Jacob. And in in August of 2014, the story was also covered by John Walsh on his show, The Hunt, to regain national attention. You know, I had to include that because we love John Walsh. (laughs) Everybody loves John Walsh. <laughs> MVP. He could be like America's dad. <laughs> He's got to be. So we're going to fast forward a little bit to October 2015. This is about a year after John Walsh's show. And a year and a half or so after the investigation kind of took off again. And they... Were reinterested in continuing it. I will say this case never was treated like a cold case. There were constant tips coming in throughout the decades, and there were investigators that were constantly looking into it. They just didn't have much to go off of. So October 2015, 53-year-old Danny James Heinrich was officially named as a person of interest in Jacob Wetterling's abduction. Back in December of 1989, Heinrich had been questioned by the FBI, and a DNA sam- sample was taken, but he was never charged with the crime and was released. Just to kind of bring it back full circle, Heinrich was the one who failed the polygraph test, and he was the one that was in the lineup that Jared could not identify, as well as the one that they surveilled. <laughs> so, you know, all these years later, they had it right in the beginning. It kind of seems strange that there was a gap and, like, all of a sudden Heinrich was named a person of interest, but it's actually quite interesting how they got there. So, in 2015, investigators decided to rerun the DNA from Jared's abduction and assault and see if they could get a hit in the system since DNA had advanced quite a bit. And a DNA match was received. The perpetrator? Danny Heinrich. So the statue of limitations at this time had expired for Jared's case, But like I said, investigators were one hundred percent certain it had to be the same person that killed Jacob Wetterling or abducted him because at this point, they don't really have answers on even what happened to Jacob. However, so like I said, statue of limitations expired, so they weren't able to pursue Danny for Jared's case, but this was sufficient evidence for a search warrant since Jared and Jacob's cases were linked together. During the search, child pornography was found, which allowed investigators to officially arrest Danny Heinrich on October 28th, 2015. Do you know the interesting thing about child pornography charges, Sydney? And I'm guessing you might know this. <laughs>
1: Hmm. I don't know. Like, I guess I don't know off the top of my head. But maybe if you, if you, just, if oh, I'm, if, I'm gonna tell and you if when you tell me, maybe it'll be something that's familiar.
0: Child pornography charges are a federal charge, not a state charge, and each individual photo or video in possession can be charged with a 20-year felony. So, if you have 10 pictures and your home and you are mm-hmm. searched each picture has the weight of potentially 20 years in federal prison of peace
1: so i knew you could get charged for like each individual like photo or video or whatever but i didn't i guess i didn't know that that's what each one was worth which is pretty interesting i didn't know it was a federal thing either
0: oh yes it it's is <laughs> Wild. It is crazy for those of you that watch Law and Order SVU. You also are knowing what I'm saying. And another just side note, anyone who followed the Jared from Subway <laughs> case Jared. also knows he is sitting in a federal prison because of child pornography. So uh yeah, basically Danny Heinrich was fucked. Like he was facing 25 counts. Of child pornography charges he decided to take a plea deal which honestly was smart in his case and as part of a plea deal heinrich agreed to work with investigators he pointed them to a destination of a pasture just outside of paynesville minnesota and on september 1st 2016 the minnesota bureau of criminal apprehension discovered human bones from this pasture, buried with the remains of clothing as well. Now, despite the clothing being pretty obvious, including a, I think it was like a soccer jersey with the last name on the back. Two days later, it was confirmed that through dental records, the bones were finally identified as the remains of Jacob Wetterling. As part of his plea deal, Heinrich agreed to plead guilty to only one count of the 25 he was facing for the federal child pornography charges. But he also had to provide the location of Jacob's body and he was required to testify in court on what happened to Jacob. Heinrich testified that he kidnapped Jacob and handcuffed him in his car then drove him near a gravel pit that he knew of. Here, Heinrich had Jacob strip. He sexually assaulted him and then allowed him to get dressed. Then he fatally shot him twice and killed Jacob and buried his body in the gravel pit. About a year later, he came back and moved Jacob's body. After noticing his jacket he was wearing had become exposed. In his testimony, he also confirmed that he kidnapped and sexually assaulted Jared as well. So he did confess to Jared Shirrell's abduction and sexual assault. There are other details that he also included, uh, specifically, some things that Jacob said on the night of the events. But I'm going to be honest, I'm not going to get too far into depth on this. It was pretty heartbreaking for me to read. And I don't want to add to the heaviness of the case. I had mentioned it to Sid before. You know, you can find our sources. You can read the articles for yourself. I'm not a, like, crier. (laughs) Uh, I usually don't get super affected for some reason by true crime cases. But I definitely was tearing up reading one of the articles And so, like I said, you want to look into it, you're more than welcome. (laughs) So, Danny Heinrich was sentenced to the maximum of 20 years for the child pornography charge that he was facing. As part of his plea deal, the state authorities could seek civil commitment as a sexual predator at the end of a sentence. And I kind of looked it up because I didn't know what the fuck that meant. But basically, it means he could potentially never be a free man again. They could request that as a danger to society and as a sexual predator, he is required to stay committed to some sort of facility. So more than likely, Danny Heinrich will die in prison. I also want to include the Wetterling family did also agree to this plea deal. So although he never is specifically charged with the Wetterling case and he will never be tried for Jacob's murder. The family did agree to this in hopes that they would get some sort of closure and justice for what happened to Jacob and answers because at this point they had gone 27 years with no answers. In sentencing, the judge said the following quote, which I thought was important to include. We won't pretend that this crime and sentence is about child pornography. It is. Also about changing the lives of so many children and parents who prayed for Jacob's return And also feared you coming out of the dark. Every child knows the story of Jacob Wetterling. You stole the innocence of children in small towns in the cities of Minnesota and beyond. And I thought that was like a really heavy statement, but it also kind of goes to say like, how big this case was, you know, like I said, nationwide, but it really did affect the communities in Minnesota very deeply. In January of 2017, Heinrich was officially transferred to federal prison in Massachusetts, where he remains today. Like I said, more than likely will die in prison, honestly, as he deserves. (laughs) In 2018, the Stearns County Sheriff held a press conference where the documentation linked to Jacob's case was released, and for 90 minutes, the current sheriff went into detail how the previous investigators failed to solve the case for so long. I did want to include that because I kind of briefly mentioned that it seemed like investigators a little bit dropped the ball on this. (laughs) Um, The sheriff did not necessarily point the finger. In fact, he admitted that, and I quote, all of us have failed. He did not hold back on the lack of efficiency on why the state's most famous case remained unsolved for 27 years. The biggest reasons given were the delay in connecting other local cases together, like I mentioned, the failure to thoroughly canvass the neighborhood, and the pursuit of another man very publicly that was not linked to this case. I'm going to be honest, I couldn't find anything about this other pursuit of a suspect, uh, but he did mention that Danny Heinrich was heavily mentioned in first couple years as a potential suspect and then they did nothing and for 20 years in the documentation he's basically non-existent in their files and he doesn't understand why there are also a lot of agencies involved that cause you know some lack of communication and not being on the same pages i wanted to include that for the simple fact that i think it's very rare that an investigator or like an agency will admit that they fucked up. (laughs) Um, And the sheriff I don't think they ever do that. Exactly. (laughs) I was going to say very rare, but I don't think I've ever heard of that.
1: (laughs) I don't think I've ever heard of that. They don't admit that they're
0: wrong. One, it's a bad look. It really is. But this guy, like, I saw so many articles. He did not hold back. And they like every article said like you could see how upset he was about this because this is something that Jacob's family could have had answers a long time before. Uh I have some fun facts. And I mentioned before I let you kind of dive into anything to add said, I mentioned at the beginning that Jacob's case kind of shaped our criminal justice system. Although it is a story that is horrific. It has allowed some great things to come out of it. First, only four months after Jacob was abducted, his parents formed the Jacob Wetterling Foundation, which was an advo- <laughs> can't talk, which was an advocacy group for children's safety. Second, in 1994, the Jacob Wetterling Act was passed through Congress. This was the first law to create, implement, and require a state sex offender registry. This law was not perfect, and it has been amended several times. Unfortunately, many amendments named after other children in cases that were just as heart-wrenching as Jacobs. But it was the basis for this law to grow to what it is now. Even though it's still not perfect by any means it would not be in place without the selflessness of jerry and patty wetterling wanting to protect other children and families so uh jacob wetterling his case was the foundation for the sex offender registry anything to add sid that's really
1: interesting that, that, that's how that came to be, I guess.
0: Yeah. And I um, there are, like, a couple, like I said, a, a few other amendments. One of them is called Megan's Law, and I have heard that case as well. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm definitely familiar with that one.
0: Yeah. And they're, I mean, they're all tragic in their own heart-wrenching way. But it is, I always find it really impressive when a family can kind of do some good out of it because I don't know if I could to be honest
1: (laughs) and that's a good point because I think that there are and I'm I'm sure that there is people out there like this and families out there like this where they just kind of dwell on it and are unable to you know come back from it which I don't blame them at all like and then there's other people that continue to share the person's name and make something out of it
0: Well, I was going to say, we even uh, talked about Diane's case last week. And look what it did to her family, right? And it was tragic. All these people in her family died so young. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And Jacob's family is still here. His mom, Patty, I mean, she's still fighting and is involved in advocacy to this day, which is so impressive. I just, I was kind of in shock that she was able to take something so horrible and tragic that happened to her family and try to use it to do good in the world.
1: Yes, and that's actually, I guess, one of the things that I wanted to touch on a little bit. Um, I always check on Facebook to see if, like, (laughs) there's anything on there because that's what I do. And on Facebook, they have uh, Jacob Wetterling Resource Center. And so I was just kind of reading through the posts and one of the things that they share, and I was going to include this on our pictures too, but it is a hashtag 11 for Jacob. And it says that Jacob Wetterling believes in a fair and just world, a world where all children know they are special and deserve to be safe. To remember and honor Jacob's hope for our worlds, be a part of hashtag 11 for Jacob. The This movement centers around 11 simple traits, and the traits are to be fair, be kind, be understanding, be honest, be thankful, be a good sport, be a good friend, be joyful, be generous, be gentle with others, and be positive.
0: That's very sweet. I didn't see that. Um, I, tried- I re-
1: They had a, a lot of fun stuff on there, or cool stuff that... It, I thought was interesting.
0: I'll have to look into it so we can share. Like, I think it's on our sources, right? Yeah. Um, I'll be sure to include it on our sources, too, so everyone can also check that out. Uh, I
1: don't and know. If you, honestly
0: don't know if it's on there. <laughs> I, I just checked out. It isn't, but I'm going to add it to it. Okay. Uh, and if you don't know where our sources can be found, you can find them on our website on each episode's information, as well as whatever you're listening to. There is, like, a little information section about this episode. If you had expand, our resources are on there. So you can get involved or look into the Jacob Wetterling Resource Center.
1: Yes, all of that. Yes, <laughs> I did find it interesting too. Um, and I guess I feel like this is a discussion because I didn't know that this was a thing. So they said that in 2015 was when they found that DNA match and they reran it through the system. Yeah. I always thought that it was like just in the system. And then if they got a match, they would like get a notification from that. So was it Sydney, like in you the would system? think?
0: <laughs> Isn't that how it works though, or am I like just making that up? No, I actually always thought that's how it worked, too, to be honest. But I don't know. I don't know if, like, I guess the the thing I might be confused on is old cases. If there is DNA in the system and they go to rerun it, maybe it's not, like, constantly trying to find matches in the background is my guess. Like, you know, if we have a case, right, you and I are investigators, someone is sexually assaulted we collect DNA and run it through the system or well the techs do, because they're the real heroes. <laughs> um, the lab technicians run it through the system and they automatically get a hit from a case from like five years ago, right? That's how it works now. But my guess is because DNA was like I guess obviously not a thing really back in the 70s or 80s. I don't know If it's, like, constantly running a program in the background to find matches. I don't know if you have to, like, click on this case and pull up that DNA profile and rerun matches. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, because I... Yeah, no, no, that doesn't make sense. Because I guess I always thought that, like, so they create the profile and then it's,
1: like... DNA for Jane Doe, number 712, or whatever, you know, John Doe, 712, and then they just keep going off of it, and I I always thought it was, like, sitting there, and then, like, if something got put in the system, then, like, and it had a match, that they would get, like, a notification almost, like, oh, there's a a new thing that just went through, like, almost that it was only running, like, when new stuff gets added in,
0: but... So, I think what happened in this instance is maybe... They had collected the DNA in, like, a sample, but there was nothing in the actual database yet. Maybe that was it, because, like, in 2015 was, like, a huge advancement comparison, and they, since they were really diving into those cases again, they sat down and said, hey, maybe we should put this in the database like, and see if we can get a hit. So, like, it wasn't even in there? That's what maybe I'm thinking. I don't know. That would
1: make more sense. But I feel like that'd be like a rookie mistake then too. Isn't that like
0: one of the first things y'all are supposed to do? Listen, I think they fucked up a lot in this case because I do think with Danny Heinrich was a potential suspect from the beginning. Uh, I saw that when he was arrested, a lot of people in his community that knew him were not surprised. And that back in the 80s and early 90s, parents referred to him as Chester the Molester. So, um, fuck I want to laugh at that nickname, but I don't think I should. I know that's kind of how what I felt. The fuck? Uh, because I was kind of annoyed about it, to be honest, when I read that, and that's why I didn't put it in my notes because I didn't want to get on a tangent. But <laughs> here we are. Uh, Chester anyways.
1: the Molester.
0: Yeah, so it seemed like people in the neighborhood or parents suspected him of being a child molester, but I don't know if he was ever actually caught on anything prior to. So I don't don't know, but a lot of people were not surprised. And that was, I guess, like the whole basis of the Jacob Wetterling case and like the act, I'm sorry, that passed was that if there was something in place like that for prior to Jacob Wetterling being abducted, then potentially Danny Heinrich would have been held responsible and would have been on some sort of database where the police could have looked into it. True. Okay. But I don't know. I do think it was like a ball drop somewhere <laughs> that they Bad did not police work. Yeah. That they did not uh have it in the database apparently
1: which that would make that makes more sense unfortunately because I was like I feel like these things because like they just randomly will get matches for stuff and it's like I didn't think when the, that they just rerun it like oh let me press this button and see if I get any matches I just you it and seemed me like both. <laughs> it seemed like it was always happening but if it was never in there to begin with then obviously you're not going to get a match so that would yeah make sense
0: I concur so I don't I don't know how it works maybe I should go to school and and do that
1: I feel like yeah um I don't know I feel like based on a lot of these cases we've been covering with the poor police work or just shoddy police work makes me want to go be a cop because I could probably do a better job
0: you know I actually used to really want to be a detective for a long time but then I realized that you have to be a cop oh, first, <laughs>
1: uh huh,
0: and was like, "Ooh, don't want to do that."
1: That's the only so, uh, bad part of that.
0: I have considered like those programs where I could go be like a lab tech or some sort of like blood spatter analysis, like Dexter, and that's really interested me too. But I don't know
1: <laughs> science.
0: I'd <laughs> rather go clean up crime scenes. Would you? That's weird.
1: I think that that is, like, my ideal job. Cleaning up crime scenes. Do you ever watch those videos? No. Oh, never mind.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they have
1: videos on YouTube of this.
0: (laughs) That really stresses me out, but also I will be doing some research when we get off this.
1: Look them up. It's kind of satisfying, like, to just see it get cleaned.
0: I feel like we're on a whole nother tangent about like types of TikToks that we get pulled into.
1: <laughs> true. Very true. All right. All right.
0: <laughs> did you have anything else to add to the case?
1: No, I did not. Um, this was a good, a good choice. I feel like that's not the right word, but.
0: Um, well, I, I appreciate it. Cause I know what you mean.
1: <laughs> I, I, it was an interesting case. Something I, never heard of before so I like things like that um and also the fact that it changed a law made a law created a law created a program created a thing
0: (laughs) this has actually been on my list for a while to cover uh I just it's been hard to like pick a oh now's the right time to cover this devastating case Uh, There's never a right time for any of them. (laughs) Yeah, but some I feel like are a little more fun, at least. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is is like a heavy case. So I wanted to kind of do it justice. And then it was like a sign of the times a couple weeks ago. uh, Crime Junkie released like an episode from a different like a different thing that they do called precedent, and they cover like the Jacob Wetterling case and how that was the precedent for the Jacob Wetterling Act. Mm. And I was like, all right, it's a sign. I just need to do this case.
1: <laughs> it's a sign
0: because I actually had never heard anyone even really cover this case before. So, which is wild because super this wild this is the literally the reason that there is a sex offender registry. Which is insane. So as as tragic as this case is, like I said, there is some sort of legacy that sh- that's Jacob's legacy. So, and I'm sure that's helped save other children.
1: You learn something new every day. Facts.
0: All right. If you have nothing else to add, can we move on to jokes and facts? Because I'm feeling really uncomfortable now. <laughs> We definitely can. Okay, good. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to, like, kind of laugh and stuff, and everyone's going to think I'm crazy some more. <laughs> but, like, I'm just really uncomfortable.
1: <laughs> just awkward laughing.
0: Yeah, this is really my life. <laughs> what do you want first? Uh, let's go fact first. The largest
1: serving of nachos weighed 4,689 pounds and was created at the University of Kansas in 2012. It contained 765 pounds of chips, 405 pounds of salsa, 323 pounds of tomato, 918 pounds of meat and beans, and more than... 2200 pounds of cheese.
0: <laughs> I mean, that sounds like the proper cheese ratio to me, but Agreed. Holy shit. I'm like, why the fuck did someone make those nachos? It's
1: That's like a Guinness so a, a Guinness world record one. Like let's just make a it shit like on the nachos.
0: It was it like the University of Kansas?
1: Yeah, so it was It uh, had
0: been like the entire university campus came and ate those nachos. Yeah, so they had it
1: for um it was at, like, the concession for their sporting events, so then everyone on the sports teams were the ones that came and ate it. Oh, my God. Yeah. I I wonder if they had leftovers.
0: I don't know. That's a good question. That's a lot of fucking food. Yeah. Over 900 pounds of just meat and beans. 2,000 pounds of cheese. I mean, I could probably eat 2,000 pounds of cheese. but
1: I probably have eaten that much in my lifetime. Same. (laughs) As of
0: right now. I'm going to go eat some cheese and crackers after this now.
1: Oh, that sounds good.
0: I got some good cheese spreads.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Yes. All the cheese.
0: That was a good fact. I'm down for it.
1: You ready for a bad joke?
0: I am ready for a bad joke.
1: (laughs) Why was the burrito fed up with his fillings? Why? Because okay. they wouldn't romaine calm.
0: I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> some, weeks, some weeks they're very reminiscent of like dad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm. This is one of those weeks. <laughs> You know, I was you having win, a hard time. You win some and you lose some. <laughs> they can't all be good, honestly. I think for the most part, though, they're good. Even if they're corny like this one.
1: <laughs> corny. Like a corn tortilla.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, funny, funny, funny. Well, folks, you can find us on Facebook. Tacos and Tequila Podcast. On Instagram,
1: it's just Tacos and Tequilia.
0: Our website, Tacos
1: And if you're listening on, I'm losing. I can't think. If you're listening on <laughs> Apple Podcasts or Spotify, <laughs> you should leave a rating and/or review to help us get noticed. Facts. And it's like, kind of cool.
0: Yes, I was gonna say, like said said, it's helps us get noticed so the more reviews the better but it also makes us feel good about ourselves (laughs) and as I mentioned I actually already have the link for the resource center so you can check out our website it'll have all our sources on each individual episode the link for the resource center will be there it'll also be if you like I said click expand on this in this episode's information you'll be able to find a link to the resource center too i do see i pulled it up too and i saw like they have annual races and a bunch of other stuff that helps parents and schools and kids get involved and be more aware and things like that so it it definitely has a lot of cool tools for families that i think should be utilized absolutely uh, one last thing before we go, I almost just forgot. Our one year anniversary is quickly approaching, and <laughs> uh, Sid and I did come up with a couple. Well, we had one idea, right? I think. I hope you know what the one idea is that I'm thinking. Yeah, of. I think we had one. I think. We okay. Had idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we had talked about the other day about potential cases and stuff like that. So, um. I actually am super honored to be the one presenting a case on our actual 50 se- week 52, so our one year. Uh, wow. And I have an interesting one that I think is going to be pretty mind-blowing. So, stay tuned, people. Hopefully, you keep coming back. <laughs> You're not going to want to miss this. Facts. <laughs> So, in two weeks, we'll have our uh, one year celebration. Is that two weeks? I don't even know now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, our first episode came out on April 6th. Sweet. So, two weeks? Coming soon. Wow, time flies when you have fun you're telling me man (laughs) you're telling me so yeah stay tuned we have some fun stuff coming up for you guys and like I said check us out on well like we said our website and social media so you can keep an eye on those fun things coming
1: and don't forget to go rate and review
0: yes greatly appreciated
1: (laughs) yes yes
0: yes yes Well, that's all. I have anything else to add, Sid?
1: Nothing else here.
0: Awesome. I guess we will talk to you guys next week then. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Woo <laughs>